All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Justin and Ailish. Let's not waste any time. We've got a legend on the line, a former Smythe Trophy winner, Stanley Cup champion, and a former Maple Leaf, Sean Sebastian Jaguer. Good morning, JS. Good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, we are pretty good. And another exciting thing good. in your world is uh, that you're going to be featured in an upcoming ESPN E60 doc, Once Upon a Time in Anaheim. It premieres June 11th. What was it like reliving the late 90s, early 2000s Mighty Ducks teams uh, when participating in this doc? <laughs> it was fun. You know, you're, you're uh, you know, uh, you always remember 2007, you know, when you think about the Ducks and my career and stuff like that. But, uh, uh, you know, my early years with the, the Mighty Ducks were great. You know, it, it, it was my uh, my uh, beginning in the NHL. That's where I established myself. And, and uh, our run in 2003 was uh, uh, something that was unexpected and, and uh, you know, that deserves to be remembered, I guess. Well, you mentioned 2007, and yeah, I remember the Cup for sure. Uh, but it's quite a transformation. It seemed like that that franchise went under over that like short period of time, and I guess that will be highlighted in the doc. But when you arrived in Anaheim versus the moment you left, like how much did that franchise change? Oh, it, it changed a lot. You know, uh, uh, it was I guess considered a Mickey Mouse uh, franchise at first. And, and uh, you know, with the name and all that. And I, I think it wasn't taken very seriously. The, you know, we weren't a very good team. Uh, when, and that's what, you know, I guess that's how I got my first, my first job, I guess, full-time in the NHL is, you know, being in a team that wasn't very good. And it, it gives a lot of chance to young, young players and stuff like that. But uh, eventually, when the Samuelis bought the team, you know, I think uh, – uh, it became a little bit more serious. It became, you know, an owner that uh, had his hands on, you know, versus a big corporation that, you know, they, they own a team, but they don't necessarily take care of the team all that well. So uh, that was a great change for us, for the Ducks and the organization in the city of Anaheim and all that. But, uh, uh, you know, for me, I have uh, really good memories playing for the Mighty Ducks. That's no doubt. Uh, the off the floor on the board moment is uh, is I guess you're on the ice. You're not hearing that in real time, but that's one of the greatest moments in I think hockey broadcasting. And of course, the Mighty Ducks as well. Paul Correa uh, scoring that goal after coming back uh, from that Scott Stevens hit. Is there a memory, and that would be the one for me in that time for the Mighty Ducks? Is there a memory that still exists at the forefront from you? Something that you were able to share on the show that you can share with us? Like, what do you look back on and think of the most when you reflect on your time pre Stanley Cup with the Mighty Ducks? Well, you know, this is definitely one of them. You know, uh, when, when Paul got hit like that, and we all worried about, you know, he's our team captain, he's our leader. Uh, Paul is, you know, everybody loves Paul Correa, you know, and, and, you know, a great teammate and all that. And to see a guy go down like that uh, from a dirty hit, it, you know, it's, it, it was really hard to take. And uh, when he came back, I, I, you know, there's no word to describe the feeling that we all felt. And especially when he scored that goal, I, I've never heard a, a ring be so loud in my life. You know, it felt like the, the, the ring was going to crumble on you. And just thinking about it today, oh, it still gives me shivers. You know, it's, it's, it was such a, a beautiful memory. And the sad part of it all is he doesn't even remember. Mm. Doesn't remember scoring that goal. Does not, does not remember playing game seven, the next game. Uh, you know, this is all messed up. This whole situation is really. 
Yeah, we've seen a documentary on on his journey and how that all fared. And obviously, as you mentioned, it's really scary. And we're going to see this ESPN E60 documentary Once Upon a Time in Anaheim on June 11th. Now, I wonder what you think the what you hope the casual hockey fan will learn from watching this documentary about this time that you were a part of. Well, you know, uh, you know, maybe we were part of a Disney corporation, but uh, uh, you know, we were to be taken seriously, you know, and and. Uh, uh, along with uh, Mike Babcock, there was a great coach at the time. Uh, we ended up going to the final, but it wasn't a fluke. You know, we were playing very well as a team. Uh, we were playing the game the right way. We had a team that was really deep down in its lineup and stuff like that. So for me, uh, you know, hopefully they, they learned that, uh, uh, you know, even though we're a team based in California next to Disneyland, where we were a team that was, uh, you know, playing hard, playing the right way, uh, and something, you know, uh, hopefully they, they see that. Uh, uh, and we, we all loved playing for Disney, to be honest. Like, uh, you know, gave us some perks, and it was, it was very different at the end of the day, you know. And we love the jerseys. Who doesn't like those jerseys, right? <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm wearing um, a Mighty Ducks hat today because that logo is one of my favorites, and it is yeah. all things that are old are coming back now. Vintage is in. Yeah, and Jay, she wants to raid your yeah, closet to see if there's any, any vintage jackets, items any, that you give up. Any yeah. hoodies, anything? <laughs> I'll get a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff. I still have my gear from the, those years, too. Oh, that's so. awesome. <laughs> yeah, legendary yeah. logo, a really fun time. Um, and we're Looking forward to seeing the premiere of the documentary on June 11th. Okay, so let's shift to a little bit um, of a comparison to where you were at once in your point of your life, and, and now you won the Conn Smythe Trophy, obviously in a losing effort. And w- before the series started, we talked about Baby Bobrovsky following that pathway as well. He's fallen off a little bit, but what was it like to win the Conn Smythe Trophy after the defeat of, of your team in the Stanley Cup Final? Uh, you know, I, there's not a day that would go by that I wouldn't trade that for a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, uh, I'm, I'm really proud that this happened. You know, this is probably the best I've ever played uh, in my career. But, uh, you know, there's no nothing I wouldn't do to change, to change it for a Stanley Cup. I think, you know, hockey is a team sport. You know, you go through all that trouble, through all the good and the bad part together as a team. Uh, battling it out, you know, and, and stuff like that. And you don't do that to get an individual award. You, you do that to win the Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, coming short in game seven, uh, you know, was really, really hard, you know, and it was something that uh, uh, took a few years, a couple of years to recover, uh, honestly. So, uh, you know, I, 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 w- I would prefer having a second cup, but, you know, the way, at the end of the day, you know, it was a learning experience for me. I was young still, and it was my first experience in the playoff, and I think it really uh, made me ready for my, the, the run we had in 2007. You know, I was a lot more prepared in 2007 to, to go all the way, and uh, I think as a team, too, the guys that were still there, I think we were more prepared, and it gave us a, a better chance to win in 07, for sure. It's certainly a unique situation. It doesn't happen often, and it might not happen this time around because Borowski's, uh, you know, they're down 0-2 at this point, and it looks like a little bit of a mountain to, to climb, and he's slipped a bit in the Conn Smythe Trophy um, odds, but then there's still a lot of hockey to be played. So Aiden Hill on the other side, though, in the net for the Vegas Golden Knights is having just an incredible run. Is a bit of a season of chance. He was fifth stringer. Now he's leading his team in the Stanley Cup final. I wonder if you think there's a sense of rallying around that when you're a team, seeing that this young youngish guy has had an opportunity to, to make his name in the Stanley Cup final and, and they're doing just that. 
Yeah, I think they're doing a great job. But I think, you know, Vegas, the way they're playing, they're playing the, the game the right way. They're very deep down their lineup. You know, they have a great fourth line. Everybody knows that. You know, like it's 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 a team that's really hard to play against. They've been there before. You know, they, they've, you know, they've really built their team, you know, towards winning a Stanley Cup. They've been a good team for the last five, six years and stuff like that. So, uh, I'm not surprised they're having such success, even with a goalie that's not supposed to be there. And I think, you know, when you have a goalie that's, uh, you know, your fourth or fifth down the line, is what you do is you play well defensively. You make sure that you don't give up uh, the crazy scoring chances. And I think that's their DNA as a team anyway. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that. I think it's great for a, a young goalie. If I was Florida, my target would be that guy. You know, I would try to put any kind of doubt in his head see how he would react because he doesn't have that much experience. He's probably, you know, right now he's riding high, but, you know, what is he going to do if he, 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 he has a bit of doubt in his head? You know, he's, he doesn't have uh, the pedigree of a number one goalie. So that's, that's what I would try to do if I was Florida. And, you know, who knows, maybe he would answer the right way, and I would hope so for him. We're chatting with J.S. Shiger, who won the Smythe Trophy in 2003 and won the Stanley Cup four years later with the Anaheim Ducks in 2007. Uh, you mentioned Mike Babcock a little earlier, and he's returning to the NHL as one of the most polarizing names and, and figures yeah. in the game. Uh, I, I don't... Maybe it's a little uh, little extreme to ask you, like, how do you remember or in which way do you choose to remember Mike Babcock? But everyone who's played under him seems to have a different point of view on Mike Babcock. So what's your point of view on Mike Babcock, the coach and the hockey guy? Well, you know, I had Mike at his, uh, in his early days. You know, he was a rookie in the NHL. And uh, I loved playing for Mike. You know, he was, he was a very, very intense, demanding coach. But at the same time, he was really well prepared. He, he, you know, you, you would never get him, uh, cut him off guard uh, on anything. You know, he, he knew the game inside out. He knew every player. Uh, he, he was very confident in the way that he wanted his team to play. Uh, so that I really liked. You know, I think uh, uh, I enjoyed the way that he approached the game off ice too. He knew your family, he knew your wife, your kids, and stuff like that. That was, you know, new to me. I never had a coach that, that was like that. I think probably over the years he he became maybe a little too big, too uh, you know thought of himself maybe too highly. Hopefully you know he's a super smart guy, uh, so hopefully he's learned from that. Everybody makes mistakes in life, and uh, I I hope that he's learned and, and that he, he you know he gets a second chance. Uh, you know that he, uh, he he will take advantage of that because at the end of the day he is a really truly a good coach. Uh, Patrick Waz, another former coach of yours, recently in the news, winning the uh, Memorial Cup with the Quebec Rampar. Um, you played under him in Colorado, and it was kind of like the end of the line for him as well. Uh, and maybe he uh, has a second chance uh, that he can take advantage of after it didn't necessarily go as planned uh, with the Colorado Avalanche and with Joe Sackick. Do you think he deserves another shot as well? I think so. You know, I mean, he, he's had success everywhere he's young. Patrick is a winner. You know, he's one as a player, he's one as a coach. And uh, I, I would assume somebody would want to give him a chance at some point. You know, uh, uh, I think the way that it, the, the, his contract was set up in Colorado probably didn't help him in the way that he was, I think, assistant GM plus coach. 
And I'm not sure that works. You know, I think you're either the coach or you're the GM or, you know, you don't, you don't, uh, you know, your role has to be more definite as a coach, you know, and you don't get to make the decision and who the players are and stuff like that. And I think he, he, he I think he would accept that now, knowing how it went the first time. And, uh, you know, you got to let your, your, the only problem with that is for Patrick, You know, when he's in the junior hockey, he's the he's everything. You know, he's the GM, the coach, the president, and he gets to make every decision. You know, and uh, he, he decides which hotel you stay in, he decides which restaurant you're going to go to, and and which player you're going to train, and all that all that stuff. So, you know, if he goes to the NHL, he has to accept that he's going to be just the coach, and and uh, be happy with that. And I think he. You know, hopefully, just like Mike, I think he's, he learns. He learns from his mistakes, and uh, if that's what he wants, you know, he's a winner. You know, I've, I've had him as a coach, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was uh, you know very modern way to coach. Uh, let the guys play offensively. You know, create, be creative, and stuff like that. Be good defensively. But at the end of the day, you know, I think he's uh, he's a very passionate guy. Everywhere, like I said before, everywhere. He's been, he's won. So that's the type of coach you want to have. You want to have a winner in, uh, behind the bench, for sure. It felt like the rebuild was over in Colorado in your final season, but then the organization took a pretty sizable step back after. But you know what? After retooling the second time, uh, they won a Stanley Cup last year, and they've been one of the best teams in the NHL over the last five years. Did it feel like something special was there then, even if they still had work to do uh, when you were teammates with the likes of Nathan McKinnon uh, and Gabriel Landeskog? Like, did it feel like that was going to be a group that was ultimately going to, you know, do the things you did, which was win a Stanley Cup? Well, absolutely. Well, you know, when you have a guy like Nathan McKinnon in your lineup, then you have something special. There's no doubt about it, you know. And the only thing is when I, I retired, he was only 18 still, you know, he was, He, he, he was too young to to bring a team to a Stanley Cup, so I think it was the wise decision probably to take a step back and build around him, you know, and build a team around him and uh, give him some players that are going to be ready to win the cup together, you know. And so I think it uh, it was a, a great decision by the organization to okay, we're not we might not be ready right now, you know, but maybe in five six years from now when Nate is at his prime. Uh, Landy too, you know, great captain, a guy that was, but he was so young uh, when I was there. So I think getting those guys to, to grow together and being lucky in the draft, drafting a guy like Makar, uh, you know, you also have to be lucky to win a cup too, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it, it just takes time. Make sure that your core player grow up together, and when they're ready, that's when you gotta go for it. So you had the opportunity to play for a couple teams in your career, one of them being the Maple Leafs um, in parts of two seasons from 09 to 11. I wonder if there's any unique challenges that you face being a member of the Maple Leafs and being in this market, which uh, can be <laughs> full of ups and downs, as you probably know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I, I really enjoy my, my time in, in Toronto. You know, it was a, I, the organization is awesome. You know, they, they really treat their players great and, and, uh, Uh, it was a, a nice change from being in Anaheim, where hockey is definitely not the number one sport. Where you go to Toronto, and then you know you're the spotlight, and, and everything in sports world turns around the Leafs. You know, so I really enjoyed that part. Uh, playing for an original six team that was that was a yeah, you know a, a dream come true for me. 
and I honestly would have stayed in Toronto if, if uh, they wanted me to stay, you know. But uh, I think, you know, the only thing I wish that would have been different for me is I wish I would have been healthy. You know, I just kept getting injured and, and uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get any kind of momentum. I felt great when I played. But, you know, I played for, you know, two weeks, three weeks, and then I would get injured. So a little bit like Matt Murray, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And there's nothing you can do. You know, your body is just kind of breaking up on you. And, you know, I, at the end of the year, I needed a surgery. And after that, you know, I, I played three years in Colorado without, you know, maybe getting hurt once. So I think that was, uh, that was the part that I wish would have been different, but I had no control over it. So for the rest, you know, I had a good time and, uh, unfortunately, I think the results weren't there, but, uh, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do about it now, I guess. Quite a demanding position. It makes sense. Uh, injury concerns with goaltenders. We've seen it here in Toronto, so we know exactly yeah. Uh, yeah. what you're talking about. Well, we appreciate going down memory road with you today. We're looking forward to the premiere of the ESPN E60 documentary, Once Upon a Time in Anaheim. Looking forward to seeing um, that story again and a little bit of a trip for the newer fans as well to understand the time that the Mighty Ducks had. Appreciate you coming on this morning and, and be well. Thanks. Well, thank you, and keep rocking that hat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, don't you worry. I will. I'll wait for uh, one uh, for you to send me uh, an authentic one. Oh. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> right. Have a good one. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Take care. That's J.S. Jaguar, former NHL goalie at 2007 Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe Trophy winner in 2003. And as we mentioned, a new E60 documentary, Once Upon a Time in Anaheim, set to premiere June 11th, which will be a nice story of uh, that time for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's sleeping easier that it seems like Sergei Bobrovsky would have to, you know, he'd probably not have to win the standing. I don't, I don't think, uh, yeah, I think JS uh, winning, although, you know, it's, it's bittersweet, clearly, mm -hmm. uh, but it's quite the feather in his cap to say he won a Conn Smythe trophy uh, as a member of the losing team. Would and be... it's as rare as it could possibly be. And I think Sergei Bobrovsky through two games of the Stanley Cup final is not going to be joining that company. Doesn't seem like it at this point. Uh, if you look at the betting odds quickly, it looks like Jonathan Marcheseau, of course, was the... The favorite, I'm seeing minus money for him to win the Conn Smythe Trophy, but that's followed by Aiden Hill. So, I mean, mm. there could be a goaltender hoisting the Conn Smythe Trophy. Jack Eichel, Sergei Bobrovsky, Matthew Kachuk, Mark Stone. Those are kind of your top six leaders for Conn Smythe Trophy odds. Um, that game is tomorrow. Vegas Golden Knights and Florida Panthers. They have their sunrise two-game series coming up here. you got Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat back in action tonight. Obviously, the Blue Jays continue their homestand against the Houston Astros, but... I'll tell you what, just quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, the E60 on the Vegas Golden Knights, six years. Just good. as Bill Foley said, uh, it'll be pretty good. Will be pretty With good. all the decisions have made, the coaches that have gone through, the players that have cycled through. The swords in the back. It's going to be quite the story <laughs> to be told, yeah. Um, okay, before we bring in our final guest, Ryan Dempster, uh, who will help us wrap up some of this Manoa talk, let's do some of our Canadian Open picks so we're not up against the clock. Also, a whole zero... Mm. confirmed 150-yard par three. And we're both going to be participating on Saturday. <clears throat> we'll have to make some wagers for that, but we'll do that Friday. Yeah. We'll take a look. I'm sure there'll be some people doing it uh, tomorrow and Friday. We can get a little social media creeping in to see how hard it is, what the course looks like. There won't be people lining the fairway. There's I no chance, right? <laughs> They're not going to be watching that when they be watching real golf. I, don't, I hope not. I don't want any audience watching. 
But like if you're first on the leaderboard, you're probably hanging around watching. That's right? a, that's so there's a live leaderboard of this, which would be interesting because like what if your name's up there, going to come like I'm take a terrified. couple trips around. I'm be terrified. Okay, well, that's to come on Saturday. But let's do some Canadian Open picks, okay? So they tee off tomorrow. Um, Rory's in, I believe, the first group of the or the the key group with Rose and someone else. Who was it, Justin? You jammed yourself up. I can't help uh, you. Justin Rose, Rory McIlroy, Webb Simpson, seven thirty-three a.m. tea time tomorrow. Followed by that's Matt, early. Matt Fitzpatrick, Tyrell Hatton, Ludwig Abberg. My guy, your your boy. Don't steal the pick. And then Corey Connors, Tommy Fleetwood, and Nick Taylor, which will be a good one. That's uh, that's your big featured groups tomorrow as they tee off for round one. Okay, okay so, so we're doing five pack and two Canadians each. Five pack, two Canadians each. Let's do the five pack first, the Canadian second. I get to go first because I went second last time and I'm also just for an update in the lead 2800 to 2000. Mm-hmm. So I took a big lead. I mean, it, it took a big jump for me with an 1800 pick. So I don't need to go for too much value um, God, you're not even ready to make the first overall I am, overall but pick. I'm just thinking strategically. What's the problem here? Relax. I'm going to go with Shane Lowry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> back to That's back a lot top, of lead up for Shane Lowry. Yeah, back-to-back top 10 finishes at the Canadian Open, and okay. I'm expecting him to have maybe a solid week, and I'm also going to go kind of off the board here because – I can afford to do it. So that's plus 2,000. Okay, I'm going with Terrell Hatton. Uh, mm-hmm. He is the, he has the second shortest odds. I'm going to be fading Rory McIlroy. So this guy is the favorite in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would put me ahead of you. And I think he's the golfer who is most in form, who is most likely to win this golf tournament. So Terrell Hatton plus 1,200 is my first pick. I'm going to go with Matt Fitzpatrick for my second pick. That's, at, pick. that's plus 1,400. Um, I think he has got a big weekend next weekend. And you want to be prepping up for that as well, defending U.S. Open Championship. Yep. Right? So he likes coming up here, too. He likes coming up reason. here, and um, plus 1,400 is good value for him. Justin Rose will be my second pick. Uh, he's played pretty well this season. I This is kind of anecdotal, but every time I see him, he seems to be doing reasonably well. Uh, so I will go with Justin Rose. An older guy, maybe at a U.S. Open, he's not really uh, you know, too likely to win, maybe not viable on a course like that. But at a course like Oakdale, a, can, mm-hmm. a tournament like the Canadian Open, I think a strong performance from him could yield a victory. So Justin Rose plus 1,800. I'm taking someone that I knew you'd take next, Sahitha Gala, Oof. plus 3,000. Poised to take, to break That's through dirty. for his PGA Tour, his first PGA Tour victory this this season. I think he's poised nicely and I knew you'd like him. He's plus 3,000, so I'm going to snipe him from Poised you. nicely. I've put a bet on him already, so if you win, <laughs> I will be Perfect. happy either way. Uh, I will go with Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, there were reports yesterday, plus 2,500, that while everybody else was like waging war in a conference room somewhere at Oakdale, he mm. was just out on the range uh, working on his game because he doesn't care that much about what's happening uh, with all the drama for the PGA Tour. So I, I just feel like if that's his mindset, if he just wants to win a golf tournament and we're still waiting on Tommy to really break through, uh, this might be the time. So Tommy Fleetwood, plus 2,500. Okay, since you're not going to do it, I'll take Rory McIlroy, the favorite, plus 500. He's going to either have the tournament of his lifetime or he's going to crumble miserably under all of the external stress and pressure and disappointment and what's going on with Liv and PGA. So I might as well be on the hopeful winning side of Rory McIlroy's weekend. So Rory, plus 500. Ooh, okay. Um, I will take, okay, so Rose Zhang won. 
going yes. from she went from uh, amateur to a sponsor's exemption, right? Winning on the LPGA tour. Uh, I heard someone say that the male equivalent to Rose Zhang in this case is Ludwig Aberg, who's 50 to 1. I will take him as my fourth selection, selection, I believe. If you're making Rose Zhang comparisons, well, I want the winner, so I'll take the young guy poised to maybe break through here. <laughs> uh, could you just remind me who you've picked so far? Because you never write it down. You think I can memorize all of these while they're live? Tommy Fleetwood, Justin yep. Rose, Terrell Hatton, Ludwig Aberg. Or my four picks. Okay, so far. I'll take we got Cam Young each. then. Uh, plus sixteen hundred. He's like the last highest odds there, just because. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll continue to take shots. I mean, if Sam Burns wins, Sam Burns wins the tournament, I'll be annoyed with myself. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Eric Cole sixty six to one. Try to take a big lead. This guy has just been wow. living on leaderboards uh, lately, um, and it seems like a good value pick. I bet on him already, so I might as well do it in the FanX Cup. Okay, so uh, my five, my five-pack before we do Canadians, Lowry, Fitzpatrick, Sahith Thigala, Corey McElroy, uh, Rory McIlroy, and Cam Young. Those are my top five. I've got Hatton, Rose, Fleetwood, Aberg, Cole. Canadian okay. one is yours. Uh, well, obviously... I'll take Corey Connors. He's leading in terms of odds, plus 1,800. He was on the show this week. And I think it'll be a great story for a Canadian to win, and he's got the best opportunity to do so. So plus 1,800, Corey Connors. Between the Adams, I'll go with Svensson. He's my guy, like Adam Svensson. Good, because I like Nick Taylor a lot. Uh, Four top tens this season. He's missed a cut in his last two starts, though, so he's looking to prove something. And uh, he's plus 6,600. I'll take Taylor Pendrith for the final pick. Okay. 80 to 1. Okay, so let's wrap wrap through this one more time. Lowry, Fitzpatrick, Thigala, McElroy, Cam Young, Corey Connors, and Nick Taylor are my picks for the Canadian Open. And mine are Terrell Hatton, Justin Rose, Tommy Fleetwood, Ludwig Aberg, Eric Cole, Adam Svensson, and Taylor Pendrith. Okay, good luck, Justin. We got a great text in here. Tiff from Kitchener. I think I'm buying tickets to the RBC Open just to see you guys play hole zero, just to line the fairway for Justin. All right, Tiff, see you there. That's the pressure. Saturday. That's the pressure. I don't need. I'll Tiff. let you know exactly what time we're playing to arrive okay. and hit the course. Okay. Um, Chad from Peter real quickly said, "Grab Reevy as a long shot. Plays great at short courses." Can tell you, I know nothing about this individual. Chaz, Chaz, is it Chaz Reevy? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's Shea. Shea. I, I think it's Shea Revy. <laughs> Shea Revy. Oh, I, I was looking at the, yeah. I, yeah, Shea Revy. Shea Revy. Chez. Chez. Good old Chez. Chezzy. Okay, well, we'll Chez from Peterborough. Word for it. What was that? Plus like 15,000. That's it. Um, all right, best of luck, Justin. Our FanX Cup standings, 2,800 to 2,000. We'll see how it looks on Monday. Okay, we got one more fa- uh, one more fan, one more guest on the show this morning. Ryan Dempster, former MLB pitcher, uh, 2013 World Series champion, two-time All-Star, and working for Marquee Sports as an analyst and a co-host of Intentional Talk on MLB Network. We're going to chat maybe for the last time in a little while. Well, Alec Manoa's situation as a former pitcher, he knows exactly what it means to rebuild a pitcher. After this, we'll let him be. That's it for us. All right, that's next. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Before we bring in our next guest, shout out to the text line for informing us that Chez Ravi, our buddy Chez Chez, 
actually won the Canadian Open in 2008 on his rookie season How of the PGA did we Tour. How, How could we have forgotten that? So sleeper pick. The year Text after J.S. Shiger won a Stanley Cup. Special times in the sports world. So maybe keep an eye on Shez this weekend. Okay. This might be the last time we talk a little Alec Manoa. Hopefully he's just... Probably for the best. Yeah. Let's let's make it that way. Ryan Dempster, former MLB pitcher, 2013 World Series champion, and current marquee sports analyst and co-host of Intentional Talk at MLB Network joins us this morning. How's it going, Ryan? Uh, good morning. How are we doing up there? We're working through a range of emotions, Ryan, um, including the downfall of Alec Manoa. So I know your former pitcher has probably gone through some ups and downs, hopefully not as much as Alec Manoa. But tell us about the Florida Complex League because we're learning a lot about this uh, this mythical place that apparently does exist in Dunedin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> what extended spring training, I guess you could call it, right? So mm-hmm. a chance for... for um, Alex to go down and get, you know, kind of uh, uh, retuned, uh, a little breather, a breather from everything, a little time away to just recollect and, and get him back to where he's capable of being. And uh, it's not a bad thing, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the surface in the moment right now, it probably feels that way. But, um, you know, eventually in the long run, I think it's a, it's a great thing for him and he can get, you know, kind of right that ship because it's been frustrating for him and, for the ball club and and uh and he's better than he's been pitching 100 percent. and i know it's different for each pitcher and in each circumstance um would have its own unique twists and turns but w- what do you expect in the process that alec Mino is going to go through over the next x amount of weeks and months which is an undetermined amount of time what does rebuilding a pitcher starting from scratch really mean well, well i think you know one of the big things that he's got to do is just get uh, some rest for his arm. Like, I know you'll still throw and that kind of stuff, but you know, it's, it's taxing. Like I, I've explained, try to explain it to people who, you know, didn't do it or think that it's easy pitching every fifth day in the big leagues is not an easy thing. Why? That's why teams go through multiple starting pitchers throughout the year. That's why they go through multiple starting pitchers throughout the course of the decade. It's just, it's just a hard thing to do. People just don't do it a lot. They don't make 30 plus starts a year for 10 years in a row. It's, a lot of ups and downs and grinds and and sometimes a lot of fatigue and especially when you make that jump in innings like he did um that can really just be a lot of fatigue and and you have to figure out a way to work through that so um you know i'm sure he's just going to be fine you know we're we're all not you don't need to reinvent the you know the wheel with it you just need to get some rest um and get your you know hand in a position your arm in a position to to execute pitches a little bit better than he'd been doing so a lot better than he'd been doing um but but he'll be all right. You know, humble, humble pie comes in a variety of different ways. It comes through, um, you know, lack of success. It comes through injury. It comes through, um, you know, those kind of things. So you just got to figure out a way to get through that. So fatigue's an in- interesting thing to point to because fatigue can mean like a lot of things, right? Uh, you can be fatigued because you're not in shape. You can be fatigued because you're right. You've just been asked to do too much and your body can't deal with it. Or you might be fatigued because of the, you know, internal stresses and the mental toll that this might be taking. Um, not that you have to choose one because frankly, none of us really know. Um, but if the arm just isn't cooperating, if it's too much too soon in terms of like innings, 
w- w- is it just, hey, we're going to sit you down. We're not going to do anything for a while. We're going to kind of try and, uh, you know, just, just take a major breather. Is that just something that's common among pitchers where, hey, you hit a bit of an internal wall and you have to find sort of that next gear or that next phase of your career where you're managing something that, hey, may be lost permanently? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's lost permanently. I just think there's, I, I think, that, you know, sometimes you just need to figure out a way to, to get through it. Sometimes it doesn't hurt. Sometimes your arm doesn't hurt and you just can't throw a strike where you want. Sometimes it, it's a little bit sore and then you start throwing. It's almost like tendonitis. It feels better. Um, you go through those moments. Like I've personally been through them a couple of different times in my career. Um, like everything's fine, but like it's not, right? And then you, then you sit there and you, you don't want to, like, uh, doubt yourself. You want to continue to go out there and perform, but you're not. And you're like, okay, I put the work in in between starts. I'm ready to go. I, I put away this. I, I, I put all my focus here. And, and it just doesn't quite line up how you, how you want it to. And that's that's a, kind of a little bit of a reality of, you know, of how things go. Like, you know, I, I mentioned this the other day. I was talking um, to some people about uh, just about fatigue. You know, 2000, I just had a huge jump in innings in, in the year 2000 as a young guy. And then in 2001, everything was good. I was cruising, man. At it again, everything, you know, I'm having another really good year. I got a sub four ERA going into August, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, boom. And then it's like, you know, I'm giving up five, four or five runs to start, nine runs, you know. Um, and then have a good outing, right? Like, oh, everything's going to be fine. I, I think I got this. You know, I got it figured out. And then all of a sudden, just I, it was just too much. I couldn't, I couldn't continue to put the ball where I wanted. My arm didn't hurt. I'm just trying to throw sliders. They spin in the strike zone. I'm trying to throw a sinker away to a righty. It runs back over the middle of the plate and gets whacked. And it's just, it's just a reality of what happens. And then you start to have all these other things. And then you have, you know, uh, media, social media, you have all these things that you're paying attention to that you shouldn't be paying attention to, but we're human, so we do. And we never pay attention to the good stuff. When people say good things about us, we don't focus on that. The minute one, It's just like Twitter, right? You have somebody, you tweet something out, 30, 30 people say something nice, we don't acknowledge it. We don't even give it thought. But the minute one person says something bad, fight or flight takes off, and we all want to attack that in our own brains. Mm. Like, what, you said that? I can't believe you said that. And, th- and then it just it's just a bad spiral. And I feel like, you know, I, I just from outside watching it, I followed them all year long. I just feel like there's this little bit of spiral that it's tough to get out of. So good for them for recognizing it and giving him this time to go get right. And, you know, he won't be back till he is right. And I, and I feel like when he is back that he's going to be the guy that can help the Blue Jays out in a big way. I guess when I say permanently lost, I mean like maybe the previous way or the way you've been doing things up until this point. So when you had to take the step back or you lost something and you had to rediscover it, were you doing things differently? Was Even if it's just a small tweak, is like this how you pitch now because what I was doing before was lost or did things just snap back into place as they were? No, you got to work for that. And it's going to, you know, it might be the patterns you fall into as you pitch. Um, you know, you, your, your breaking ball, you might need to tinker with a little bit, your fastball, you might need to tinker with that's, that's the lovely part about this game is everybody's always making adjustments off you. So you got to figure out ways to make adjustments back. And that's, that's just how it is. And so you always have to tinker. if you want to have a career and not just a job for a couple of years in the big leagues, you have to continuously adjust, you know, it's, whether you're adjusting from game to game, pitch to pitch, season to season you got to always find what's successful just because something worked last year 
it doesn't guarantee you that it's going to work this year just because something where class starts doesn't guarantee that. So, yeah, you're going to – maybe there is something a little bit different. Maybe it's adding a new pitch. I mean, look at Kevin Gossman. I mean, Kevin Gossman always had good stuff. First-round pick out of, you know, LSU and, you know, kind of underachieved or whatever you want to say in Baltimore, didn't quite – you know, and then goes San Francisco and Atlanta and all, whoa, who's this guy? And he finds that split grip and – you know, it's it's been career changing for him. So there's lots of different ways how how you get to the back to where you were supposed to be and beyond that, right? Don't just come back and be the same, be better and you have to constantly evolve. So yeah, you have to take your you have to figure it out and, and you know, I know he's gonna put the work in for that. Talking to Ryan Dempster, former MLB pitcher and World Series champ. So what's the teammate's role in this or the family role in what Alec Manoa is going to go through? Um, if you've been on a team where someone's been struggling, is there um, you know, maybe a boundary? Are you giving as much constructive criticism or support as you can? I know that it sounds like Kevin Gosman and his family have been really instrumental in this, but now Alec Manoa is in Florida and away from the team. So how do you think the teammates and family will approach and, or should approach the Alec Manoa um, rehab- rehabilitation stint here? Continue to be be there for them, you know. Continue to to send messages, text messages. Don't lose contact because you're not, you know, not out of sight, out of mind. Just continue to be there for them, and, and I think that's the most important thing. And and, uh, and he knows that he has that support system, and that's what being a good teammate is. Anybody can be there for you when things are going great. How are they when things are tough and uh, and and things aren't going in the way you want them? Be there for somebody. Show up for them. Um, you know, continue to to be. In, to be inclusive of that person rather than like, okay, he's gone, so we don't. And, you know, in today's world, the, the way that you know, we can keep in touch with each other, I don't see that being a problem. So just continuing to support, right? It's easy. Like I said, it's easy to jump on somebody's back when everything's going great. How do you treat them when things are tough? And I know they got the guys there that will, that'll be a huge support for him because let's face it, right? The game's better when we have Alec knowing it. Mm-hmm. The game's better when he's, when he's with the Blue Jays team, their team's better when he's healthy and pitching right, so that's what they need to do. And as I mentioned, someone that's been instrumental in that is Kevin Gosman, and we saw him on the mound again last night, uh, tying a career-high 13 strikeouts. He's just been a steady force um, on the mound and in the in the clubhouse and what he's been ad- added to this team since he came. Uh, would you put him in the elite tier of pitchers, and, and how elite? Are we talking top three, top five, when you look at Kevin Gosman and his role in the Blue Jays? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's I, I, top five is a hard to look around the league. He's a top 10 pitcher in this league. Mm-hmm. You know, at times he's a top five and at times he's pitching pitches like the best pitcher in baseball. You know, I mean, last night we got 13 punches with no walks. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're elite stuff. And, and, you know, you look at his numbers across the board. He's he's upper echelon. So and you talk about, you know, going out there, you always make a risk when you sign pitchers and create any any free agent. You give a lot of money to how is that person going to show up? How are they going to perform every fifth day? Um, and not just perform, but how are they going to uh, go about their business? And this is a guy who continues to just work hard and try and lead by example. And, and you know, you got to feel good as a front office that you gave, you know, a lot of money out to a starting pitcher that is going to ho- hopefully send you to the, you know, to the promised land. This guy hasn't disappointed. He's, he's delivered so far as advertised and, and that, you know, says a lot about him um, mostly as you know as a as a person and then as a player as well just being ready every fifth day and and leading that rotation three blue jays have more or as many home runs as vladimir guerrero jr uh today um 
How, how do you look at that? Is that glass half full or glass half empty? Glass half full being, hey, wait till Vladdy gets going. We got some pop on this team. Or is it, you know, what's going on with Vladdy? Why isn't he the same guy? And what happens if he's not the player we kind of need him to be when we made some concessions to our lineup over the offseason, uh, removing the likes of Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm an eternal optimist, so it's like the, the person, the optimist in me always looks at the back of the baseball card and says, well, this means that there's going to be this stretch where he just gets like crazy scorching hot and can go out there and hit, you know, in a two-week span, hit eight to ten home runs just because he has that ability. Um, you know, you wonder, is there is there anything that's been bothering him that, you know, limits that power? But, um, you know, this is a guy that, you know, goes last couple of years, 48 and 32. So it tells me that he's going to get somewhere around 30 home runs and we're a third of the way of the season. So he's, he's realistically kind of on pace. He's just a little slightly off pace. So that's just a hot stretch somewhere in there. That's a hot stretch. That's a couple two home run games. And, you know, he's that kind of guy who can lead an offense and he can carry an offense because of the kind of pop that he has and still driving in runs. Still got, you know, almost 40 ribbies. Um, but those homers will come at some point. Blue Jays fans have been anxiously awaiting Nate Pearson's big moment uh, for the Blue Jays. He's had some injury issues in his young career, and now he's been projected to be a starter and has now found a home as a reliever. Now, you've been both, and I wonder how the mentality shifts in that role for Nate Pearson, kind of understanding that he has you know, moved into a different spot for this Blue Jays franchise and how you kind of accept that and make it something of a point of emphasis and a statement for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I think acceptance of that role nowadays is a lot easier because the dollars that get thrown around for relievers is comparable to starters. Um, You know, so for a player, you know, it used to be like, well, I want to be a starter because, you know, you're in there every fifth day and you get to go, you know, hopefully go nine innings and, you know, you get to, you you get to make some, you get to make some cheese if you pitch really well. And, and for him, you know, I've watched a lot of guys, you know, I, I, I went out in necessity because we needed a closer, not necessarily because I wasn't doing a job as a starter. So it was a little bit different. But sometimes when you just, like, you about self-evaluate and go, maybe this is the right spot for me. And I watch starting pitchers go to the bullpen and then become lights-out relievers and have great careers. And, and I think that's just, like, a really good thing to, to embrace. If you try to fight it and you're like, I want to do this, you just – you end up in the middle, you end up not fully committed, and then you're not, hey, you're not helping the team. <clears throat> At the end of the day, the team pays your salary, and they're the boss. So if they ask you to go to the bullpen, they're trying to do what's best for the team. And he, it feels like, just from the outside looking in, that he's kind of embraced that and, and is having a lot of success. And who knows? You know, now, now you start talking about this one-two punch of him and Romano at the back end of the bullpen. You start getting those October games, if you're lucky enough to get there, um, you, you want that. You need that. Let's be honest. You don't want it. You need it. Mm-hmm. And and the Blue Jays could have could have found kind of a diamond in the rough. Although they knew they had it, it just is in a little bit of a different form. And and it could be an electric thing to have. You know the, the the strength of a back end of the bullpen like that. Certainly looks like he's getting more comfortable in that role, and uh, that's what you want from a young pitcher. Uh, Ryan, appreciate you coming on this morning and helping us break it down. It's always fun to chat and enjoy uh, the couple weeks ahead. Maybe we'll chat midway through the season. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the golf tournament, too. I heard there's some fun stuff going on in the world. Yeah, of golf. a little bit, eh? <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but I'll let you guys handle all that. And, yeah. And I'll enjoy some baseball today. Perfect. Thanks, Ryan. We'll chat soon.
That's Ryan Dempster, former MLB pitcher, 2013 World Series champion. You can catch Ryan on Intentional Talk weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on MLB Network, and he's a current marquee sports analyst as well. Yeah, a couple things going on in golf, eh? Gunning for the four-line introduction there, Ryan Dempster. Uh, J.S. Jaguar was in that category as well. Uh, We got a couple minutes here. We should probably hit the wake and rake. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. Okay, you've got Chris Bassett, a dad, back on the mound tonight against Blanco for the Houston Astros. 707 first pitch. That is your Blue Jays baseball tonight. You've got the Denver Nuggets at the Miami Heat looking to take a series lead after the Heat tied it up in Denver. So those are your two big viewing experiences. And then obviously we'll get... You know, we'll get some trickle before the Canadian Open starts tomorrow. Yeah, they're dangling more plus money on the Houston Astros, um, but I'm going to resist the urge to take that, at least in the wake and rake, and go to the Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Denver's going to be really good tonight. I really, really do. Uh, They were kind of called, they were called out big time by their coach, Michael Malone, after the loss in Game 2. I have a feeling they're going to put forth a really good effort, but I'm not convinced the Miami Heat won't do the same, and they might be at their best as well. I think it's going to be a great game. I'm leaning Nuggets, but in order to kind of hedge for both teams playing well, I'll just take the over, 214 and a half. Uh, I think Denver's going to score, and it's really up to Miami to match that, and I think there's a chance that they do it, given the fact that they just continue to shoot the ball well and to defy many expectations and to score despite Jimmy Butler not being that great in the series so far. So over 214 and a half is my wake and rake pick. I'm taking the 40 and 20 Texas Rangers with John Gray on the mound, who's got a 251 ERA and a Mm. six and one against the St. Louis Cardinals straight up on the money line today. No explanation needed. They're one of the best teams in baseball. So boom, them money line Rangers over the Cardinals at home. Okay. Let's go through some picks here. We've got a a bunch of support for Chris Bassett over strikeouts. Um, That's from courier, Chris and Ajax and another unnamed texter. Yeah. They got different, they got different lines. There's one, four and a half strikeouts. There's one, five and a half. It's four and a half. I'm a little bit more interested, but uh, that might depend on your book. Jay from St. Kitts sent this in before the show even started. So fired up this morning. Logan Webb over five and a half Ks and 13 most in the league. And the Rockies have the 12th most Ks in the league. That's Jay from St. Kitts. Uh, Ron and Jules, they're leaning Denver as well. Two and a half. And Jules goes total bases for Bo Bichette. That's her I'm pick. assuming that's an over one and a half. We've got... Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, that's usually one and a half. Corey, Corey from Port here, Hope here. My streak of nine straight Ooh, came to an end last night after Cleveland's bullpen couldn't hang on to the win. For Wake and Rake, I'm taking Denver minus two and a half as well against Miami. Can't take a line that low. Uh, Can't and, pass up, sorry. And finally, we've got Neil from Newfoundland uh, coming off a loss with Sitsi Pass yesterday. Yes, I feel you, uh, Neil. Uh, don't know about you guys, but I always play better after a good power nap. <laughs> okay, so that's, uh, yeah, t- Sitsi Pass. I mean, the defying expectation. Uh, he's going with Casper Rude over Holger Rune. It seems like these two guys, I don't know if it's their names looking somewhat alike. It seems like they always match up against each other. <laughs> but Neil likes Rude over Rune. Rude has fared better in the head-to-head. He's played some of their best tennis at the French Open the last few years. Behind Alcaraz, he says he might be the best guy on clay in the world right now. Okay, last one. Brandon from Whitby just texted in. Pirates over the Athletics. Okay, so we got to pick one quickly here to make the wake and rake the selection. Pirates, Pirates let us down yesterday. Um, 
I think Bobachet over bases has been a lock, and Jules has been sending that in quite consistently. And we don't have anything from the Blue Jays. What do you think of that? We we do have some. We have multiple picks for the over with Bassett. Multiple picks for Denver. I'm okay with. But you're Bo. already going to a basketball game. Doesn't mean we can't parlay it up. Let's do something from our Toronto sports. Okay. Let's do Bobachet over bases. Jules right. sent it in every day, and I think uh, he's probably the best. One of the best players in baseball right now, so I think we okay. should ride with him. He used up four bases yesterday, but that's just no reason Believe why he can't do Bo, it again. Believe Justin. All right. Over 214 and a half in the Nuggets in the Heat game. That's game three, series tied 1-1. Texas Rangers on the money line against the Cardinals. And Bo Bichette over one and a half bases against the Astros tonight. Parlay that up is plus 510 on your Wednesday wake and rake. And we got to run. Everybody have a wonderful day. We'll be back. It's Baby Friday tomorrow.